Who would you say is your team? And I don't mean NHL playoffs. I mean Leafs and Habs. Come on, given that choice, who isn't going to cheer for the refs or a sinkhole? <laughs> no, no, I mean, who are the people that you would look at and say, oh, now those are my people? Now, they might be fellow fans of your team. If I'm out in public and I spot a perfect stranger wearing Dallas Cowboys paraphernalia, I will invariably approach that perfect stranger just to say, how about them Cowboys? Because they're my people and they know it, right? After a year of uh, this pandemic, my wife working in the hospital, there are very few people that matter more to her at this moment in time than the people she fights this pandemic with every single day. In this season, those are her people. For some of us who are not from around here originally, when you get the chance to be around people who are from where you're from and you get to speak your native tongue and you get to share your food and celebrate your culture, you just have this feeling inside of you like, yes, these are my people. Your people are the people who are going to come running when you pick up the phone and say help, whether your family or, as the proverb says, a friend that sticks closer than a sibling. We all have people. And in fact, as part of the community of faith, we are supposed to be each other's people. And what does that look like for us? I think those are the lessons that the Israelites are starting to learn in the chapter of the book of Exodus that we are going to look at today. I hope you paused and read the passage out of Exodus chapter 17, but we've been tracking with the story of Israel as God has freed them from slavery in Egypt and, and walked with them in those initial steps as being free people learning to live in a relationship with God. And we've been seeing them learn the foundational lessons lessons of living life with God, a, a posture of obedience, a posture of dependence. And as Mandy uh, walked us through last week, a posture of trust when the question emerges, is God with us or not? Israel has been learning these lessons and now still camped in that same place where we, they experienced what Mandy was talking about last week. They had yet another chance to learn a lesson about what it's like when it feels like, is God with us or not. In Exodus chapter 17, verse 8, it says this, Amalek came or the Amalekites came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So far, Israel's struggles in the wilderness have been about missing water and lacking food and then lacking water again. And all of a sudden now, having just come out of this last crisis, they are immediately attacked by the Amalekite people. They were a 
a desert-dwelling nomadic tribe, and it doesn't give any reason in the text why they decided to attack Israel. Maybe they saw this huge community of people coming through their territory and felt their food and water supply threatened, or maybe they had grown accustomed to plundering other nomadic groups in order to survive, or maybe there was something more sinister at work. They had heard what God had done for Israel against the Egyptians. And they had come from their home, which was quite a distance away, in order to attack, and the text says, consume Israel, to thumb their nose at God and prove that they and their God were greater than God, the God of the Israels, Israelites. What we know from Deuteronomy chapter 25 is this, words reflecting on this incident by many years down the road. It says, remember after all what the Amalekites did to you on your departure from Egypt, how they met up with you on the way, striking from behind those who were lagging back because you were weak and tired and because they didn't fear God. We know that they were ruthless and merciless that they attacked from behind and targeted the weak and the tired and the vulnerable because they did not care about Israel or Israel's God. Israel suddenly found themselves under attack. And I think there are some in our community who know exactly what that feels like to be under attack for no good reason to get a diagnosis from the doctor who has no good reason for why this is happening to you, to lose a relationship for what in retrospect seems like no good reason to let be let go from your work for no good reason. The ways we see society or the political sphere or the economic life of our culture attack certain people for no good reason. And it's often the weak and the tired and the vulnerable, marginalized communities, blacks and indigenous and, and people of color or the disabled or LGBTQ plus people or the elderly or some other marginalized group. Or sometimes it's someone of privilege when they're weak and tired and vulnerable and they just get kicked when they're down. We know what it feels like to be attacked for no good reason. And it was right in that moment when Moses grabbed the reins of leadership over Israel. It says in Exodus chapter 17, verse 9, Moses said to Joshua, choose some men for us and go and fight with the Amalekites. Tomorrow, I'll stand on top of the hill with a shepherd's rod of God in my hand. Moses proposes this two-pronged defense against the attack. One prong led by Joshua, who was to become a military recruiter and to muster an army from among the men of Israel. Now, what's interesting is the Hebrew word for men is not the normal word for men. It's the word for mortals, a word that seems to emphasize the weakness and the frailty of Israel. Moses says to Joshua, gather together whatever you can out of this ragtag group of ex-slaves who are ill-equipped to fight against this mobilized unit, but gather them and lead them into battle. Moses 
would lead the other prong of the defense. Standing on a hilltop nearby, now he was 80, so give him a break for not fighting, but he stood on a hilltop nearby and he took the rod of God and said, I will hold it up in the air. Why? Why would Moses think to hold the staff or the rod of God up in the air? Because I think. Moses was doing what Mandy was talking about last week. Moses was remembering how he had seen God act before. Moses remembered how God had used his staff to turn the Nile River to blood, how God had used this staff to part the sea, how God had used this staff in that very place to bring water from a rock. And Moses thought, if I go to the top of the hill and raise the staff of God, maybe God will use this staff one more time to bring victory to Israel. And God does. It says that that next day as they fought in the valley below, so long as Moses' hands were raised in the air, the Israelites were winning. But as Moses' arms got tired and began to droop, the Amalekites started winning. So Moses' brother Aaron and his friend Hur um, got a rock for Moses to sit on. And they stood beside him and kept his arms in the air for the entire day. And it says in verse 12, Moses' hands remained steady until sunset. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his army with the sword. Moses, supported by Aaron and Hur, kept his hands in the air, and God worked through Joshua and the army down below, and the Amalekites were defeated. God brought them victory in the fight. Now, it wasn't easy, they had to fight. It wasn't instantaneous. God could have struck the Amalekites with a plague, but chose not to. They fought all day. It wasn't painless. I'm sure there were Israelites who were wounded and maybe even some who died. But what they discovered that day is that God will fight for those who fight for the purposes of God together. That's what they discovered. And it's a lesson that I think is apt for us to learn as well, because God has invited us as members of his community, his people. God has invited us to devote our lives, among other things, to fighting against everything that fights against the purposes of God in the world. God sent Jesus into the world so that by his life and his death and his resurrection, Jesus might defeat the power of sin and evil and death in our lives and in our society and in our world. And on that cross, Jesus struck the decisive blow against the power of sin and evil and death in the world. And yet, it doesn't take too much time on the internet or watching the evening news to realize the world is still not yet the place God wants it to be, a place filled with healing and hope and the fullness and the abundance of God's love. We are still fighting to achieve God's purpose of flooding God's creation with love. 
in a sense. It is kind of like the pandemic. The, the end of the pandemic was already won and secured the moment those vaccines were invented and proven to be safe and approved for use. At that moment, the world was going to defeat this pandemic. And yet, each of us in our own way is still fighting every single day to bring an end to the pandemic, to realize the victory that was won by the vaccine. It's exactly the reality, the condition of our world that we as God's people with each other get up and fight against the things that fight against the purposes, God's purposes of filling the world with healing and hope and the abundance and fullness of love. We fight for that every single day. We fight to achieve the victory that Jesus won on the cross. And here's what it means for us to be each other's people. We fight shoulder to shoulder, arm in arm, alongside each other. When you look at the story, it's an interesting dynamic. This is the first story in this entire series where in response to a crisis, there is no command from God and there is no complaining on, beha on behalf of the Israelites. Everyone knew exactly what they had to do and everyone played their role. Moses took the lead and Aaron and her positioned themselves to assist Moses as he led the spiritual battle for Israel. Joshua took the lead in the fighting in the trenches down below and the fighters that he recruited to fight with him all followed him into battle. And those who didn't fall into, follow him into battle, I'm sure were back in the tents praying. Everyone had a role to play to fight fight this battle to win God's victory, to fight against the thing that was fighting against God's purpose in the world. And that's what it means for us to be our people together with each other, to live in allegiance with each other, to lock arms and fight shoulder to shoulder, arm in arm against everything that fights against God's purposes of love in the world to fight against everything that tries to push back on the healing and hope, the fullness and the abundance of God's love in the world, to fight against evil and sin and death wherever we find it in our lives, in our society, and everywhere in our world. What it means for us to be God's people together is to fight in allegiance with each other against everything that fights against the purposes of God. And here's what we discover when we do, that God will fight for those who are willing to fight for the purposes of God together. It says in um, Exodus chapter 17, verse 15, it says, Moses built an altar there and called it, the Lord is my banner. When um, you are fighting hand-to-hand -hand combat throughout history, the first thing to go into battle is the banner, the flag, the standard that gets held aloft where all the soldiers can see it. It is the flag that represents what we are fighting for to give hope and inspiration to those who are fighting. 
It is the flag that represents everything that we are fighting under, the authority that we carry into battle, the values that we fight according to. There's this great scene at the end of a terrible movie called The Patriot in which Mel Gibson is leading the American Revolutionary Army into battle against Britain. And one of the first things that happens is the man carrying the stars and stripes into battle gets shot dead. And the troops panic and their morale flags until Mel Gibson scoops up the banner and charges headlong in the, in, towards the enemy, which rallies the troops and they fight for the victory. That's what the banner is. It is the hope and the inspiration, the authority and the values for which we fight. And Moses says, God is the banner. That God's kingdom, what God is doing in the world is the hope and the inspiration for which we fight. God's kingdom is the authority by which we charge into battle against sin and death and evil in our lives and in our world. It is the values of God's kingdom, which are the values of love, which are the values by which we fight against the enemy. And let me say, just so that we're clear, the enemy that we fight is never another flesh and blood human being. In Ephesians chapter 6, it says we aren't fighting against human enemies, but against rulers, authorities, forces of cosmic darkness and spiritual power of evil in the heavens. Our enemies in the battle for God's kingdom are not other human beings. It is admittedly a bit awkward talking about Israel fighting a military battle when all you need to do is go to the internet or turn on the news and witness the atrocities that are occurring between the Israelis and the Palestinians in real time right now. But the point is, our enemies are not other human beings, not people who believe differently than we do, look differently than we do, behave differently. Our enemy is always the sin and the evil and death that co-ops lives to distort them away from God's purposes. That's what we fight against. And what we are fighting for is the kingdom of God's love to come on earth as it is in heaven. God is our banner leading us into the battle against sin and evil and death. And God has led the way in the person of Jesus. The banner is always the first thing to charge into battle. And God charged into this battle in the person of Jesus, another man who once stood on a hill with his arms outstretched on the cross of Calvary, where Jesus won the decisive victory against sin and evil and death. And Jesus modeled for us the way the fight happens through self-sacrificial love towards everyone, including those we would consider human enemies all the time until God's kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven. That's what it means to be God's people with each other, to fight in allegiance with each other, 
and in allegiance with God against everything that fights against God's purposes in the world. And when we do, when we live that way, when we are those people for and with each other, we will discover again and again and again and again that God will fight for those who are willing to fight for the purposes of God together. May we be those people for each other. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there is so much sin and evil and death still left in our lives, in our community, in our society, in our world. But thank you that you came and led the charge in the person of Jesus, whose name means God saves. You led us into the battle and showed us the way of self-sacrificing love to fight together as a community to see your kingdom of love come into this world just as it is in heaven. May you bind our hearts together with each other and together with yours as we head into the fight of love. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.